back online and join us for a new episode of the valley beyond a westworld podcast this is mike this is caroline and this is paul tonight we're talking about episode six of season four of westworld it was called fidelity westworld's favorite word it was written by jordan goldberg and ali rook this is jordan's third episode written for westworld uh previously wrote lay Ecorte in season two and the mother of exiles in season three ali was previously a writer's assistant on the show and is now a staff writer to the season this is their first written by the episode was directed by Andrew Selkler. This is their first time directing, though he's been an editor on the show since season one. So this is the hmm. second time we've had another, like, we previously had a cinematographer directing now. Hmm. Now we have an editor directing the show. Doesn't this so. again, like, totally give you that that smell of, like, last season kind of stuff? You know you know how, like, it, and This Is Us, like, Mandy Moore, like, did right. a directed one and Milo direct, like, where they give everybody a shot to play all the parts. Yeah, we're going to start seeing, like, Aaron Paul written and directed, like, <laughs> Except, episode seven. You know it, right? Why wouldn't it be? It doesn't make sense. But you know what, you guys? If you have not seen this episode, this is not a recap. This is a talking about the highlights, giving our opinions. So please go watch the episode first and then come on back. And if you like the way we do it, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that other people can find the podcast as well. C is for cookie. It's good enough for me. That's all I can think of after I watch this episode several times. <laughs> when he randomly says, Cookie? Frankie? Cookie? Uh, co- cookie. <laughs> nice. That's all I can think of. Yes. That's hilarious. So there that's will, where we get the C, yeah. huh? That's where the C comes from? Yes, 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 yes. Man, yes. okay. All right, what? All right, all right. How are we supposed to have guessed that? I don't know. People, yeah. I think, were saying C for Caleb, because it's common that daughters take their father's name in absentia for future code names. All the time. Sure. <laughs> it's all it, it's all over literature and, and pop culture. Yes. Oh, Elizabeth goodness. calls herself Paul. I, we've, we, I think everyone knows that So in her, in her secret organization names. It's all right there, people. We're through the looking glass. It's right there. It's been staring you in the face all the time. No clues, and you should have guessed it. God damn it. <sighs> Let's start with Caleb. This was the real crux of the episode, this this elaborate mousetrap concept. But before we get to the mousetrap part, let's talk about Holoris and Caleb, because she comes in, she's still bent on the same thing from last week, this idea that humans are infecting us, what are you doing? We have the clip right here. Besides, why should I tell you anything when you won't tell me? Tell you what? Your kind, the outliers, it all started with you. 
My kind is perfect. Perfectly immortal, perfectly rational, and yet they're making irrational choices. Choosing mortality, staining themselves with death. How are you making them do that? How the hell am I supposed to know? Once you told me that you could fight off the effects of my parasite because you had something that I don't have. You knew something, even then. What? I'm afraid. I can't recall. <gasps> so Nisclepolorus puts it at Caleb's feet that he was the first outlier. It all started with him. And again, she is determined to find out what is it about you that allows you to disobey me that same idea that she had from a couple of episodes ago, but now the, this idea that it's an infection. What's your take here? Is she going a little mad with this? Is this just a, is this a robot being logical, trying to drill down to an answer that it can't find? That's a lot what it feels like. Like her own code, as much as she can't ever admit it, is starting to like come apart at the seams, trying to find this this answer that, you know, it may not be understandable within the ones and zeros that she can compute. I, I mean, I think we talked about it last week and I was saying like, I really don't think that she has this diabolical hold on this population the way that she thinks she does because these outliers are so elusive, you know, somehow they are they squeaking through. And that gives me hope actually that I don't know that us humans are tricky enough we we actually don't have a code and we are a little bit more uh wily you know i like the idea of that it struck me when i was watching last week's episode that i for the for out of nowhere it came to me that is westworld actually about the indomitable human spirit is that actually what the show is about because that has never been what i thought the show was about <laughs> they showed us what, what pieces of shit we were for a long time yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like that we've been trained uh, when the tower makes its beeps to think, man, you guys are fucking horrible. But now I feel like the show is kind of, you know, tilting towards this. And I mean, we can play the let's play the clips from the end of the episode. We've been infected. Your hosts. You don't say. Who did? You. Your hosts would rather die than live in your world. They're not infected. I'm just trying to get away from you. I mean, this is the Harry Potter answer. This is Dumbledore's answer that she's giving here about why Harry can do magic that Voldemort can't do. Love. It's love. It's like, <laughs> we didn't infect your host. They just don't want to live in you in your world. We have love and we appreciate each other and you're a dictator. That's kind of what he's saying here. Yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> I mean, okay, but is that lame though? Is that is that is that is that a lame answer of we didn't infect your host? They're killing themselves because they'd rather die than continue to live in your world. This is what Host in Black was having his existential crisis about last week when he goes to see William. Well, and I guess you could just say love, I guess, but it, you're right; it, it does kind of simplify and lamify well, well his, mes- saying- his message to frankie right that, that the, the love comes from the his message he leaves for frankie is you're strong you're going to win because you're stronger than me cookie frankie hey it's your dad i know you're out there and if you're hearing this i want you to know that you're going to win. You're going to do what I couldn't. Because you were strong. So much stronger than me. This world. This world she, she made is it's a lie. And it's not real. real I'm sorry that I failed that I haven't been there for you but now it has to be you you can do this you're my warrior like he's just giving her like a pump up speech, like like any parent gives to their child from time to time, the the carry on speech, and she says, "What a fucking disappointment!" Like I go through all of this, and that's your message. That's you showing your cards. I think there's a element of humanity, like maybe not individually, but as a whole, that has that weird existential "why are we here" element that you spend some amount of your life figuring out. And, you know, love and all that other kind of stuff that the hosts can't ever really get. They can't tap into that. Right. And so all you could sum it up and say love if you want. Well, but but it, that's making it sound like you guys said lame. But I think I would even drill down to it's parental love for for the most part. It's the love of a child that is really like the the spotlit love. Now we do have love between like, you know, the, like a toxic love that we have with like Man in Black and Dolores and and all that stuff like the the kind of twisted love of those types of things that make people go mad, but when we had Lindsay, you know, put her head on on Host in Black's shoulder, that's what snapped him last mm-hmm. week. It's that love, that remembering of the daughter that really happened. And obviously this entire week, every single thing, constantly, Caleb's like, where's my daughter? That's the only right. topic of conversation. So if we're going to focus on love, I want to specifically focus on parent-child love. Well, I'm glad you say that because this episode featured several flashbacks by Caleb. There were flashbacks where he's first meeting Wadi in the hospital right after the lighthouse mission. We see when he first wakes up and she's there. And it seems like she's been keeping like a a vigil by his bedside. And so we see that. But we also see a lot of the interactions between him 
and Frankie when she is young. Um, you know, she scrapes her knee. And, you know, listen, it was cheesy as hell, but it really worked for me. It totally touched my dad heart when he's like, nothing is impossible. You know, you can do this. You got to carry on. Don't quit. Fuck, cheesy as hell. But, man, I was like, yes, that is the best. And then he's using those lessons he taught her to propel himself forward and keep going. <laughs> you know, I'm fist pumping. I'm loving it. I'm eating that up. I'm eating that up. This is all a long way of saying I love Caleb as a dad. I don't give a shit, and I am completely uninvested in the romance between him and Awadi. I don't care. I, it does nothing for me. It's just I'm just checking my phone during those scenes. I don't know about you guys. No, I feel the same way. I mean, it it answered how in the world these two got together, and but we had already figured that one out. We already figured out the Florence Nightingale right. caretaker kind of situation. But even that, if you don't if you don't say parent child, and instead you say caretaker, and that's the love. Okay, that still gives you Awadi and Caleb without it being romantic it's still like caretaker caregiver he just had pudding to steal <laughs> but then she was watching over him i mean there was there was obvious that that he was propelled to keep when she said keep keep awake you know for me basically i mean there was something about the power of caring about other people that really can heal other people and can motivate other people well in the the flashback to the other outlier mission where they get Jay. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The love of the of his brother and everything. She was she's basically carrying on his mission in absentia, you know, without him there. Right. Yes. And and the stuff that she's saying to little C is all pro dad stuff. That's true. Not exactly pro husband stuff, but pro dad stuff, which is right. still pretty good. Well, she's even she's even come around to telling her, say hi, you know, tell him I love him, you know, whereas when we saw her with Carver out in the field trying to get a hold of her dad on the ham radio, she's like, quit doing that. We got stuff to do kind of thing. You know, it seems at some point in the near not too distant future from then, based on the fact that the she was about the same age, it looks like um, she is kind of on board with with little Frankie uh, or Cookie, uh, you know, trying to reach out to her dad and leave him messages. Did you notice in the flashback the um wah, wah, yes. wah, wah, the, the towers were different shaped? Yes, and it was my goodness, I had I Mike there's in our living room there is a subwoofer and there's a sound bar and there's all this stuff and it was literally shaking the furniture like to the point where it was like you couldn't turn that sound down in order to hear the dialogue and it was practically drowning out the dialogue. It was pretty loud, yeah. But the did you notice they were more traditional L shaped? Yes. Like yeah. fixture things. But but clearly like prototype, which again I, I I love the detail on the show, but it did prompt me to ask how long after Caleb goes off with Maeve to what ends up taking them to Golden Park, do Frankie Unawadi join the resistance how did they get in the resistance are they the founding members of the resistance there's a step here that we didn't get to see that i was actually very much interested interested in finding out and and part of that is like partially answering last week we had the the question about how did they get from arizona (laughs) to new york with that that boat and then this one we saw well at some point they acquired something that looks a lot like a military or paramilitary hovercraft or drone or whatever you want to call the people carriers that use the same multi-propeller well it's not a helicopter it says multiple propellers but um, they, but you yeah, know they what call I'm talking a VTOC, about. a vertical takeoff and landing, a VTOL. Uh, it's a vertical takeoff and yeah, landing. Okay. Vehicle, yeah, okay. 
Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. It had it had um, camouflage painting on it, which doesn't look you know overly right civilian. So maybe that's part of what you're talking about. Is like, how did they get equipped? If they're like, is it that there's just no other humans out there using this stuff? So well, my feeling was that this must have been an offshoot, or their involvement anyway must have been an offshoot of Caleb's friends, right? Because we know from the brief discussions that between him and Uwadi before he goes off with Maeve that he's still very much in touch with his military buddies, right? When he's waiting to get exfiltrated uh, at the demo site, ah, good call. You know, he's talking to his military buddies. I mean, they've got a hell helicopter that they're trying to bring in to get him and Maeve out so and but Carver was part of this military group so it seemed he was very much still in touch with his military guys so maybe they are literally they have access to paramilitary uh, supplies but maybe at this point in the future the government is backing the last free humans maybe there's some splinter cell uh, or they've taken control of some kind of surplus base because this prototype future where there is tower sounds, there are the prototype or or some different version of the of the streetlight towers. And they're does using not drones, look like New York. They're, but they're using drones instead of the game. Right, right. They haven't released uh, right for hosts to do it. Drones are doing the hunting, but it also didn't look like New York to me. That looked like L.A. to me. Not necessarily in the town, but when they drive out and they go to that like orphanage frat house that oh, they're yeah. using for a headquarters, right. it's like overlooking the city, and that doesn't look like New York City to me. I assume that was supposed to be L.A. or some version of some Southwest city. <laughs> so maybe answering the question that there are other areas that Holoris controls not just her new york city-esque park one little piece of dialogue that caroline found last night that she rewound us to a couple times was maybe tied up in this because it's got to be around this time frame but we couldn't quite figure out all of the possible meanings it's when calm cool collected bernard is talking with c and he says something like Hale's first attempt was a simulation. Do you remember that? Yeah. We, have the, we actually have the clip here. We, we actually have the... Please play. You ever going to tell me how you come up with these predictions, Nostradamus? Old habit comes from years of running probabilistic algorithms. The people who built the original park and hosts, they started first by building them in a simulation. A copy. Charlotte Hale did the same thing. In the old parks, they used hats to collect the data. The tech inside of them was slow, primitive by today's standards, to assume control of the world. Hale needed to understand minds at a much faster rate. So she upgraded to what? A ubiquitous system. There was one in practically every room in the park. Easily camouflaged because it played off the most base human impulse. Vanity. Yeah, Bernard, is, this is right before he shows her the mirror. He tells her that Holoris used a simulation at first uh, before rolling it out just the way Ford and Arnold did. When I was watching that, I, I was trying to puzzle out. Did... When we t started this season of the podcast, we had decided on simulation being a virtual, like, computer-based thing. Well, because that's how those guys could be there from the subway area. But maybe we're wrong. 
And then I was questioning when he told her hail, are we all under agreement that we mean host hail or is it Charlotte hail from the or board. is it possible he means, yeah, Charlotte hail, the original mm. Tessa T <laughs> from, from season one and two. Cause he knows what she is, but C doesn't know what she is. The show has consistently still referred to her as Charlotte or Charlotte Hale, though, in all of its iterations. Or maybe she does in know. This season. Maybe. Uh, yeah, the, the, the body of I knowledge. I would imagine because when Dolores brings him back and explains that we both have a part to play in this, we're not going to be friends, but we both have a role. I imagine at some point she told him about her Dolores offshoot, but maybe she didn't. Yeah, you but know, no, that you're right, you're right. Is, yeah. yeah, he's up to date on that. I'm just wondering, like, is the resistance all up to date on who are hosts, who are fly people, mm. etc.? I mean, they're they're doing a lot of yeah, I don't a lot know. of exposition to explain certain things, but then there's other things that are just so gray. I don't know if it's intentional or or they think they've given us the clues or what. I imagine everyone here has played freeze tag at some point in their childhood. I don't know if you guys thought about freeze tag when uh, they're trying to exfiltrate Jay in the flashback, <laughs> but I was like, man, can you imagine, can you imagine being played this kind of freeze tag when you were kids where like, you know, if you get caught moving, you get choked to death. <laughs> really? It's like it's freeze tag, the most dangerous game. It like really like ups the ante on, but uh, if on a the known stakes. pathogen lands on your face. <laughs> oh my god of course it's a fly right and he does so good not to he just blinks it away but that drone was just like i was waiting for that that drone got right up in their grill all of them you felt like it was kind of like sniffing at them you know if they had a nose which they don't seem to have a discernible nose but it seemed like it was sniffing at them it was it was crazy of course we have the foreshadowing there later on in the orphanage frat house you know young jay tells even younger frankie i'm not your brother i thought that was a nice little throwaway foreshadowing that paid off later in the episode the whole we're not family right but then later I says you're you like family. my sister yeah. see i know why you want to wake her up but it's too risky we have no idea what they were planning with her she could kill us all the second she opens her eyes i still send him messages my dad on the radio to our old frequency and I know that it is crazy to think that he hears them, but if there is any chance that he is alive, I need to know. I don't want you to get hurt, see? All this will do is rip open an old wound. She can't bring him back. We have to destroy her control unit before Hale uses her to take us out. And if your dad's out there, we'll find him another way, together. You're my family, see? You're like a sister to me. I can't lose you. No, and, and it was like, that was a, a, a excellent acting on, on our Frankie character because her face change was very subtle in that moment where it was clear she, as soon as he said, I think you like my sister. And she was like, <laughs> So this episode ends and we, and we do see like Maeve and C are kind of have an understanding about where they're at, but that doesn't leave their team. Okay. Right. Cause there still had to be a plant. It wasn't Jay. Jay was just like the extra muscle that the team plant had inserted into the team. Right. They still have to uncover who who the rat is. 
right? Well, no. I, I mean, well, no, rat. because Jay, Jay was because that, how'd they know to copy Jay though? How'd they know to have a copy ready of Jay? I, well, th- we talked a little bit about this last week. It seems like it would be based on how much information Holoris has going on in the city. They have to know about these guys coming in on their big old yacht up the river. Remember the big <laughs> fat white hippo? Oh yeah, it's a No, no, you have to do it like it's the theme song. Sugar chug chug sugar chug. Although I think I'm actually chug, doing actually uh, like Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones. I know. Yeah, I, was, I, was I just started doing that. Oh right, chug chug Let's just say it. The boat plays HBO theme songs out of its butt. <laughs> Any yes. HBO theme song. <laughs> Steamboat Willie Stubbs dresses Steamboat Willie at the. At the uh, thing spinning the wheel. Uh, All right, but the point of it was that yeah, you had you had felt like that Holoris had to know who was coming off that boat. Well, I mean, but it's easy, right? Any good organization, even one that's not entirely well run, probably has research on the opposition. They probably know at least, if not all of the members of the rebels, they probably know at least the main actors. Probably C, probably Adina. Probably Jay as who seems to be the head of the resistance. So they know there's a breach. They know Jay is the leader. So maybe it just kind of was a good gamble for them to have a Jay waiting there to come into the staircase. I'm still giving the stink guy to the rest of the team. Okay. Well, you just Odina, tell them that. Odina, Odina does say out of the blue, and I think this is what put her got her locked up in the room, was where's that brain ball? Girl, why would you say that? Like that's super aggressive. That like, was that was very much like uh hey, just hey, by the way. Right. Like, where did you put that where brain you ball? Where that brain ball at, girl? <laughs> yeah. Girl, you're so pretty. Where's that brain ball? You got that brain ball with you now? I mean, but of course, obviously, clearly, Odina is not a host, so she must be human because if she was a host, she could have just broken out of the rickety, you know, saloon room that they put her in. I totally thought you were going to say Odina's not a hoe because you said is not a host. And I was thinking like, no, Mike, she's clearly in a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I thought that. I mean, that's a whole other thing. My brain's really gooey. Yeah, so I, I think you're very. There may be another plant there, but they could all be a plant for all we know at this point. And it's like only sees the real human. I mean, we don't know any. Of, right, we don't know any of these That's people, not, right? Not, so. yeah, I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know Adina. I didn't go to school with See, her. She's not my old college roommate. They I need don't dogs know her. like like Terminator. Terminator ha- had the dogs that could sniff since, nice. since we're here, let, let's let's stay with this before we jump back to the mousetrap. Why is Bernard scanning her? Why does Bernard want to scan all of them? Because when she accuses him of that, and Stubbs is like, "Really?" and and Bernard's <laughs> Bernard's response is, "No, I'm not doing that." His response is, it's complicated, which kind of says, like, I am scanning you. And he did scan her. I mean, she pulls up her own scan. Why? What's what's our best guesses here on why Bernard is doing scans of the humans? Possible easy guess is he himself doesn't know who the plant is. So he's trying to figure it out and not be surprised. Okay. I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Because he tells her all of the possibilities, right? Even Stubbs one time was the mole, right? So he gives her the rundown of all the possibilities. Sometimes it's Odina. A lot of times it's Jay. Sometimes it's you. One time it was Stubbs. Stubbs is like, what? <laughs> yeah. So so maybe it was him just doing reconnaissance because the brain map presumably would show some kind of aberration if they were being controlled by a fly. But my outsider thought was, or out-of-the-box thought was that at some point, Bernard knows 
knows there is a future or a path in which he is going to have to have copies of them, a la mm-hmm. Caleb. Like, on on his side, hosts, right? Team Bernard slash Maeve slash Caleb hosts. So maybe he wants scans done of them for that eventuality where if they die, the revolution can, can continue. This is what Dolores did season three. She was never trying to make Caleb or Mr. Delos level fidelity copies. She only needed them to look right, but then follow her orders. And that makes sense that Bernard would need the same thing. Now, we just got done talking about how this show maybe, in fact, is about the uh, indomitable spirit of of the human will. But then they show also love. Love. (laughs) But then this show also tells us that it's our vanity is what ushered in our downfall, that by by putting the scanning technology behind the mirrors, dumb motherfucker humans couldn't stop looking at themselves enough in order to get scanned in the park. How's that for a show theme? Your vanity, humans, is what's going to be ultimately allowing us to take you over. I thought that was a little depressing. I also don't look in the mirror very much. I live my life kind of in a permanent shiva. So, so I think I'd be cool with that. Your scans are incomplete at best. Crap. One of the last free humans. Up yours, Alaris. That's it. <laughs> Have you seen my hair? It's ridiculous. I don't use a mirror for any of that shit. Mm-mm. Any thoughts on human vanity as a show theme? I mean, it's a kind of a funny thing for them to do. I feel like they're definitely trying to make some statement. Well, I mean, they've been hitting the you were our gods. You know, they've been referring to the those that came before as gods this whole time. But you kind of get that that sort of Greek god, you know, hubrisy sort of reek off of their definition of us as their gods. So then a people also suffering from vanity to that to that level (laughs) where is the ultimate key to their undoing does fit along with at least the host's perception of us. I mean, especially when you contrast it to Haloris, who has kept that scar on her arm, which Uh, is uh, this festering wound that refuses to heal, which is its own metaphor, but that she keeps that disfigurement almost in defiance of the human vanity like she thinks like by doing that in some way maybe that she is better or above the humans who allowed their vanity to be their downfall like those guys that carry like the cross along the side of the highway (laughs) sure yeah just like that (laughs) see and i was even like thinking a little bit about like um you know original jim Jim, right? Well, James Delos, right? Yeah. The whole the whole vanity yeah, project, right? Of like expecting to live forever, wanting to live forever, thinking that you are so special that you and only you should like exist forever and ever kind of thing, you know, like that even that level of vanity entitlement it's, yeah. Uh, and just, it, it's, it's yeah. that the world the world that needs oh me so to live special. forever. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that the world would be better off if I never, ever died, you know? I don't know. There's something right. to that, too. I could I could fit that under the vanity of it all. Let's talk about when uh, Bernard is restoring me. Before Frankie even calls him out on that, uh, I had noted that he is taking a lot of loving, painstaking detail in, in like, sealing her up and fixing her completely and taking out, you know, she he's getting, she's getting, like, the best, uh, right. uh, what's the poison you put in your forehead, uh, the, the take out the wrinkles? 
Yes, I mean he's giving her like the A plus Botox treatment <laughs> skin regimen here. She yeah. could be operational with those cuts and bruises. I'm positive. Yeah, yeah. He's he's just lovingly touching her up, but he, she's also clothed. And all I can think to myself, I even have it here in the notes, is Ford would so disapprove of that. Ford would spend ten minutes scolding Bernard over clothing her. There's a season one scene where he does that. He does. And I was, I thought of that when I noticed that he had put like a tank top on her. I was like, Ford would not be okay with that. But that's the difference between Bernard and Ford. Bernard loves them. That's the conversation with Akichita. Now she's also a host and he's a host, but it's part of this. I love humans thing that Bernard has going on that he's spending this time. I think he has respect for her too, not just love, but respect for, you know, and all that she's accomplished and that type of thing. Also, though, from like a just a show standpoint, uh, this is another one of those. Yeah. In season one, she'd have been butt ass naked. We would have yep. seen boobs and butt and probably yep. even pubes. But for whatever reason, come season four, we're all so modest. <laughs> I, yeah. And I don't know if that that's another big switcheroo for this season that I don't know how audiences, if they love that or what. Like we're all waiting for the where's the where's the book ending orgy scene. Right, the orgy. There's episode. no pariah in this Westworld. Not so far. There's no pariah. I, I thought there, there definitely has been this conversation going on about the lack, and and it really it started in season three, um, where I know people started talking about it was the lack of nudity and the lack of sex. Uh, the violence is still there, but the the more uh, the salaciousness uh, and salacious the, appetite the... aspect of it has has greatly been reduced. It's an interesting conversation, especially in the world right now where you have like your Sydney Sweeney's and uh, Euphoria cast, which another HBO show, which is getting tremendous blowback on a constant basis about their graphic nudity and sex scenes. And, but I thought there was just also women. multiple um, actors who recently came out and and it was like they were never going to do nudity again. Isn't there that happening as well? I'm sure. I, yeah. I mean, I couldn't name them, but you get. How, how do you say your name now? Tandaway? Thandaway? Thandaway? You get I someone get as, as like, with as much notoriety and, and, and recent acclaim as Thandaway Newton. She gets to be done doing that. You I know? think so. An, or, or she and gets the choice. Evan Rachel Wood, I think, is also. And didn't she 100% say I mean, she's she, not doing it anymore? Well, she, HBO financed a whole documentary about her abuse by Marilyn Manson. Yeah. So. I don't know that you get that woman naked and put her on your channel anymore. You not, know? not like, not in these kind of like just throwaway for nude no scenes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. I, and I think, I think the, the typical line is for a lot of actors and, and actresses is, you know, I'll do the nudity if it's tasteful and if it makes sense to the plot. I was just reading this article with Sydney Sweeney where she was talking about how she never actually had a problem. And I think of all the characters on Euphoria is by far the one who's most often naked on that show. And she said that she never had a problem with it, but she had also a couple of times gone to the showrunner, who was, I, th- I think, also the creator, and said to him... I don't need to be naked in this scene. And, and that he was like, okay, you know, like he like was okay with it, whatever. And so she didn't have to, but I think that is maybe the line. The show has evolved. I mean, these are, we're not in an active park, right? We're not watching the Williams and the Logans, you know, whoring their way through Westworld. Like we were in season one and part of season two. So maybe it makes sense that there is no nudity, but the fact that he put a tank on her though, seems to have a deeper meaning or you can interpret a deeper, meaning in Bernard's respect and or love for these creations in addition to it just also being yeah. good for HBO to not 
be salacious in this way. Her, her, her clothing, having been buried for 20 years, would be in worse shape than what we saw. So you're right. She, he probably did bring a little outfit for her. Well, right. I mean, she's in the milky white bath, right? Part of the skin treatment, right? He he has like the old clawfoot tub filled up. So she's clearly presumably naked under there because it's regenerating her skin. So it's after that, at some point off screen, he pulls her out of the tub and was like, oh, let's get a tank on you. But but important again that you said off screen and stuff there. I mean, these are subtle things that like, you know, listeners might be like, why are you paying attention to that? Let's get back to Caleb in the air duct, you know, totally understandable. But these kind of details to me give us a little bit more insight. Like what are the relationships between these people? And again, like what are we supposed to be paying attention to as audience members? I agree right. with you. We're not in the park. We're trying to have this other tone to it. You know, this is real life. This isn't going to be the part where we're going to have boobs and pubes like all over the place. Right. And that's really important to note when you're trying to put the whole larger world together. And also germane to the subject, because Ford specifically talks about this exact thing in season one. He scolds Bernard for this, for treating them like they require clothing that they require modesty whether or not you want to focus on it it's an important aspect of the story that westworld has, has laid out in the past uh, interesting in this scene also part of the scene where he's cleaning her up frankie reveals that at some point uwadi gets sick doesn't specify what kind of sickness so i'm curious how that actually played out but that frankie took care of her in the end so put a pin in it are we going to find out how uwadi got sick do we care is it important was was she in fact did she become infected and she could no longer be part of the resistance because she was a threat. That was kind of where my mind went to for whatever reason. But also, it's also in this scene, I think, where Frankie confirms a suspicion that Bernard is a host. But I'm curious, at what point do you guys think Frankie makes the decision that Bernard is a host? There's just too much converging. The care put into maintaining and restoring Maeve, the knowledge of the park the deep knowledge of the hats, the mirrors, where to find the extra stuff in the basement. All that stuff was just like, his story doesn't wash. Yeah. The mirror felt like the breaking point to me because it was like one of those things where as she was standing in the mirror and the and the little thing started doing its thing, there was like that moment where it was like she played it cool, but it's like as a woman, I guess, there's that time when you're around a situation where you suddenly realize it went bad and you stay cool but your heart sinks and you're like, shit, it was really that, that like when she shoved it in the face of Jay with the thing and said, like, look, he scanned me. That to right. me was like the connecting moment. But you're right. She was absolutely suspicious with all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, when he comes out with 60% of the time, Maeve, you know, goes yeah, along with her plan. 40% yeah. of the time, she's a little bit grumpy. You robot know, like, talk. <laughs> it's yeah. robot talk. <laughs> <laughs> and his answer, I mean, and also, I mean, she's doing, she has to be doing the math. He's like, I worked at Westworld. Like, I was in charge of doing the narratives and stuff. Like, motherfucker, like, it's been at least 23 years. Like, how old are you? You look pretty good, Bernard, you know, considering that you're talking about maybe having worked at Westworld 40 plus years ago. Some of the math doesn't work out. Part of the question of why is Bernard scanning them? He's completely not subtle about scanning her scans her and then takes the usb you know the sd card out well, he of says the machine he needs it for for a part for the other machine so i thought i didn't think he was being did you guys think it was being too overt i thought it was well, trying to be kind of cool the way mike describes it does sound like it does reasons sound bad. but it, <laughs> i have reasons because well, he just says he said he says um he, he says gives, he needs the part yeah what's the exact phrase to speed, he was, it's because it'll speed up the transfer between the balls 
Yes, and so he says that kind of with mumbo jumbo, but it There's also mumbo jumbo that makes perfect sense. <laughs> that sounds like what we computer people say to non-computer people say when, whenever we need whatever. We, we just say yes. Well, this will speed yeah, up the step thing. Step two after It'll did you plug it and um, did, did you unplug it and plug it back in? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, he's. I don't think he was <laughs> terribly trying to hide on, that he's scanning the outside of his clothes. It'll speed up the process. <laughs> Let's stay on Frankie and Bernard here for a second. This is the Friends audio clip. We talked a little bit about this already. The unkindest cut of all. We came here to help you. Bullshit. You came here for your own reasons, and now mine takes priority. I need to know what happened to my father. You've killed me many times. It doesn't change the outcome. I'm going to kill your friend. Would that change anything? Right now, you need to focus on your friends. Oh, yeah? Why is that? One of them isn't who they claim to be. One of them will betray you. Bullshit. Listen to him. I usually write about this stuff. Really annoying, but right. Fuck you. Who? I've run all the possible iterations. I wish I could tell you. Sometimes it's your girlfriend, Odina. Sometimes it's Jay or Lindsay. At one time it was even Stubbs. Don't look at me. The mole is still out there, see? Your team went into the heart of Hale City, but one of them didn't come back. So Bernard lays out all the possible traitor scenarios, uh, and he says definitively, one went into Holoris' city and didn't come back. There's not a single version where you all make it out of here. The question is, this seems to resonate with Frankie. My question for you guys is, why does she listen to him? Again, converging a lot of different things she wants to find her dad she wants her dad to be alive and then bernard has had a freaky number of of these predictions go his way in their short time together yeah it's just all that stuff he's he knows too much he gets too much right and just the i i want to see my dad again element of it that tips the scale into into his favor rather than not it's human hope, right? If love is part of this, so is hope. Sometimes hope and love make you do illogical, unreasonable things. And like, I think it was important when uh, when Bernard made the comment that this whole situation basically makes strange bedfellows. And, mm. you know, that kind of all comes into play. Like, she, she has her reasons too, you know? Well, I mean, Halora says in this episode what you just said, nothing, nothing like a little hope to make you show your cards. You know, uh, yep. yeah, it's interesting. She hears right before when she's when she's finally realized that Jay is now host Jay and they're having a battle. She she's kind of defeated. Right. She's hiding behind the tire of the car. And then the radio crackles to life and she hears the start of Caleb's speech, but she only gets through the first. Like, it's actually the third line. It's uh, you're going to win before Jay blows up the radio. But it was a great little bit of acting because it acts like a stimulant on her. Right. In the same way, uh, Haloris telling Caleb that Frankie was still alive triggers him gives him a spark to go forward and launches the mousetrap you know in the earlier in the episode hearing his voice and that he's still alive kind of acts like a stimulant on her and it's this hope factor it's hope and love it's these magic words that are core things of being human you know robots don't have hope uh you know ai doesn't have hope it doesn't have love it doesn't need hope it doesn't need any of that right that's not how their motivations work it's things like goals and you know whatever what is it always um missions whatnot objectives objectives cornerstone uh main (laughs) drives 
what do you guys think? Finally seeing Maeve back in action. We hadn't seen her now in three episodes, and she's a little stabby in the head. And she's stabby. Let's finish what we started, darling. I so. love her. I'm so glad she's back. I mean, that was one of those sad, sad situations when when everything exploded. Where I was like, are you for real? Like, there's no way we're not going to see Maeve again. But I didn't have any good reason to think how we would see her again. But this was pretty great. I'm so happy she's back. She's the best. Like, you guys, I have such... Such respect. Again, we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, but, but, you know, there are so few women over 25 who get to be, you know, an action hero in any kind of way who's smart and clever and, you know, just, just ahead of everybody all the time. You're rooting for her so freaking hard, you know? I love it. I love it. I remember, what was it, the first or second episode? Second episode where, She's driving and she's doing all that explaining about, you know, her having used the system or the electricity or whatever to try to find Caleb. And that's what started this all. But then she takes a bottle of liquor and like bites off the cork. It's the wine, yeah. And and drinks it. And I remember we talked about it. Like, why would she do that? And I, I was like, I think in the shower the next day I came up with because that's what John Wayne would do. If, yeah, you know, if he it's was fucking cool, if he was riding on a stagecoach or in a police car or whatever, that's what he would Sean do. In a well, he, on a horse, he played cops very infrequently, but still, you get you get the idea. The action hero would do that. Just before we move off of the Golden Age Park and and all this and get over to the mousetrap, which is really the only other thing really happening in this episode was the was the whole mousetrap aspect of it and a little bit of Holoris. You know, Bernard knows the park, right? He explains to her that this park has the same architecture as Westworld, so that's how he knows where to go. This park is is in ruins. It's it's almost covered over by dust. It it hasn't been used in forever. But the pneumatic doors still work fine. The lights kind of come on fine. I mean, there's great shitty Hector there, and I'm glad that they use shitty Hector for the brain ball and stuff is covered in dust. But as he's telling her, be careful where you walk because this park wasn't built to last, all of this shit is still working inside of it. The tablets still work. I mean, my phone can't go more than three hours without being charged, and this tablet is 30 years old, and this in this godforsaken like barren desert and it still works fine that's always been a weird element about the delos and westworld construction if you remember a lot of the set pieces in season one were like disused portions of the older facility Mm -hmm. that still worked to an extent you know like like the storage unit place uh, that not the forge you're talking about the um the the, the physical storage yeah where yeah, the, right. it, was, it was supposed to act like a freezer but the the, oh, the water melted right yeah the unit had gone out and so it right. was had had water in it so like but the doors all still is it's kind of the similar deal right like the lights and the and the doors still work but not everything is up to snuff i don't really know why that would be why they would make it so well that it would get run down and but then never maintained except that it is a pattern <laughs> with the way that it's they make things right? yes right. exactly so, which goes against bernard's whole this place wasn't built to last which i think actually was more towards what caleb accused haloris of several weeks ago when they were in the lab i think this park wasn't built to last was actually about the fact that this park wasn't built to entertain guests the same way Westworld was, that it was more of a, a breeding ground for the fly control and also a testing ground for the human subject. So I thought that was actually 
a fun little kind of double meaning of this park wasn't built to last. That basement level was also pretend. Right, right, right. Where I mean, and that's where that Hector was, right? That was uh, Hecky was the golden age. <laughs> but that, that's that's the actor that they use. That's who they pull up and take the brain ball out of. That becomes now Maves. And there's some nice irony there, right? That's sweet and lovey. Sweet and lovey and hopeful. I love it. Right? I love There's it. some romanticness to that. All right, let's go back over to the mouse trap. So I think Kalora springs the trap for him by telling him that Frankie is still alive. And this is really what gives Caleb the spark to go forward, because otherwise I think Caleb is ready just to kind of toss in the towel and wait for what comes. I think it's knowing that Frankie is still alive that gives him that second wind, as we talked about already, the same way it gives her kind of the second wind to go on and not just roll over and let Jake kill her. Overall, what's your take on this on this mouse trap? scenario this this well crafted escape room is how i was really thinking about it that halors has laid out for caleb here did you like it i enjoyed it i thought it was actually fun like to go through the different steps you know every time he would Mm -hmm. find like a little clue a little handprint a little you know the arrow scratched in it like all the things i i actually enjoyed it a lot and maybe the same way i would like an escape room like every time i figured out a clue i'd be like Like, i I freaking love it and i I gotta say though finding his own self in that air duct when he was like use me i was like oh my god like i was that that might have been one of those like i don't know if I should watch this at night because this is going to give me some bad, creepy, creepy feelings. The extent of the number of Caleb's along the way Mm -hmm. and the the clues and all that speaks to your point, Mike, that you're making earlier about is she just losing her her shit? Is or is her programming just sort of coming apart? Because I mean, think of think of how many iterative attempts of Caleb's. They would need to get to to have all of those guys along the way. Two hundred and seventy-eight. I know. Well, he's right. He's two hundred. He's two hundred seventy-eight. So there's at least a hundred and fifty Caleb's in different states down there. Because even when he drops down into the grate, all of that soot—that's yeah. just all Caleb ash. That burn? Yeah. That's Caleb. That's yeah. that's just crematorium Caleb. There's so many. Fi- I mean, I have in my notes here. It was the Council of Deteriorating Caleb's. <laughs> you know, there's just so many Caleb's lying here. Even when the use me guy yeah. when he uses them in the fall mat, there's three other fucking Caleb's laying on that ground that that jumped that didn't have the benefit of use me Caleb guy. I completely want to have a moment for Aaron Paul when he looks down and sees the dead Caleb's and gives the like well, kind of kind moment. Of yeah, he's, but, he but whimpers. I, he's like, I, like, I that's really not survivable. I apparently, really like that though. Like though yeah. that what I, we've talked about this in a couple of the different moments with him. The little noises he makes, the yeah. the grief and the physical and psychological breaking sounds that come out of his mouth. I think they are so delicious and like perfect because so many of the other actors, yes, we get all those micro expressions on their face and stuff like that, but they're, you're like audibly hearing a man die in it. And it's like this psychological breaking of his spirit kind of feeling that I don't know. I thought I find very next level with him, with this entire experience. 
it's award worthy and the grief whimpers is how i was kind of calling it in my head because he's got a whole range of them but they all they all kind of transmit this this very specific feeling when he kind of recoils at seeing the dead bodies on the ground and yeah like you said uh paul uh that this is not survivable it hits him like a ton of bricks if he had yelled out like froggy like i would have bought it but no he just kind of sells it with like a little grief whimper uh it was it's great stuff uh, there you know the internet has fun with with aaron paul and and his acting style there is a great very, well very funny meme out there and i'll send it to you guys offline it's a subtitle of him saying i have what you don't have and then it's like in parentheses it says pants because he pants a lot in this show and so the the subtitles pick up all of his panting and they say panting like you know panting intensifies so it's like so it just reads very funny it's like i have what you don't have pants so and it makes me laugh but it's a visual gag but it made, it made me laugh for probably like 10 minutes which says something probably more about me than the show but anywho yeah no i mean i thought it was really great even down to like the other caleb's like tapping on the glass to start him off with like the little mm. sticky thing like mm. he doesn't wonder why why is there a sticky thing built into it this thing that will simulate your death why would they put that in that big giant hourglass, which I also love and I want a big giant hourglass now? Oh, you know what it reminded me of, though? That's like the same exact sand color in Wizard of Oz. When she mm. flips the hourglass, it's that red sand. And that's completely what I was seeing. And and it was making me really see Tessa Thompson in all of her head to toe black outfits a whole lot more like the Wicked Witch. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, why would they put that little sticker in there? Why would Haloris build that into the top of the thing? I don't know. I wasn't thinking about it in the moment. Obviously, later on, she has it. And she's like, nah, 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 nah. Like, it kind of like shows them. It was very Kaiser Soze, uh, Soze, uh, this, this whole episode where it's kind of like revealed later on. Like, it was, you know, if, if she had started walking with a limp and then straightened up, I've been like, oh, very great. But like, I love the little arrow on the grate as if he had left himself clued, like he does with the bloody handprints everywhere. But the little hour on the great pointing which way he had to like pull it to get down it was great i i loved it it really worked for me i thought it was a lot of fun she doesn't even know that that it worked like he he made it to what he needed i don't i mean she obviously has some sort of thing that she wants to gain from from him she wants to learn what makes him different etc cetera, etc cetera. but now she doesn't even know that this iteration is the one that might be the one that breaks her you know because who knows what C would be doing out in the in the world. But now she has sort of like this affirmation, confirmation that her dad is out there waiting for her. She knows that Frankie is, in fact, alive because she says, I sent a friend out to see her, which presumably is the host, Jay. Mm-hmm. Right. So she so this is this is going back to that. Like she she has tabs on the resistance group. She knows their movements. They have to get out of the Golden Age Park because she knows where host Jay went to. Um, so she definitely has that information, but also she's focused on something else, maybe than what she should be focused on. Uh, let's play this. This is the clip from her from the end. What a disappointment. I've waited such a long time to know what you had to tell your daughter. Hundreds of times I sat through your stupid memory, hoping to catch a single clue as to what makes you so special, so resistant to my command. And I learned jack shit, so I thought, 
Nothing like a little hope to get you to show your cards. You made it farther than any of the others, and all you did was waste your shot on a worthless apology. You think a few words will make up for the choices you made all those years ago? You know, this starts with her saying, like, what a disappointment. And then she says, there's nothing like hope to get you to show your cards. And she she reveals to him that this was all part of not un, uh, part of her plan, not unlike how she got Caleb and Maeve to get on the train and go out to the Golden Age Park and make their way down with Paris uh, from Gilmore Girls and go through all of that and wind up in the room with host Frankie, with split face host Frankie. These are very elaborate plots and traps that Holoris is springing for. Caleb and he keeps falling into them but part of this is though she says to him you know I've watched you I lived through your memory hundreds of times presumably she's talking about the where he disobeys her memory so now she's kind of gone to this mousetrap plan but yeah she's trying to figure out what that spark is and Paul you're 100% right she completely missed and what she thought was a lame message was the thing it's the thing that she's missing she can't see it it's right in front of her love <laughs> love and hope that's my dumbledore in case in case no one's getting it that's my 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 og dumbledore love harry harry you wonderful boy yes exactly this guy gets it I got my. I have a double door one right next to me. I always keep it handy with me. One last thing that made me also. This is part of the cheesy dad moment. I love how Caleb keeps telling all of the Caleb's he comes across that Frankie is alive. It's such a rallying cry, and none of them. They're all dead. Like they're all dead or about to be dead. Like they're not being sparked on the way he is. But he keeps saying it to them. Like, come on, guys, muster. Frankie's alive. Like, bro, that you're the only one that cares at this point. <laughs> Right. The other guy's literally peeling yeah. his own face my, off. My insides are melting, but all right. Yeah, like fall fall to like, you, do you know. You. Yeah, like use me, Matt, test Matt right. dummy. Uh, Caleb doesn't care at this point about right. Frankie being alive. Human parachute. that's it that's the phrase but no i I really liked it another little detail that i appreciate about this episode was we saw him in that interrogation room right part of this that i really liked was this was like a tour of of the whole facility through him trying to make an escape and so he sees the interrogation room where he wakes up at the end of that episode where he learns that he's actually a host but the camera because it's now pulled back right next door to that interrogation room there's a printing take it's just right there i love that it's like what do you what's just off of the camera well in this episode you see the camera pulls back and there's like a printing tank printing and in fact printing a new version of him caleb yeah like 279 build like i Mm -hmm. i loved all of that i was just like ah it makes me so excited (laughs) you know i kind of wanted him to look in the case because at one point he does look down into the printing tank and there's just a nose sticking through it i kind of wanted him to see his own face coming through there i think he knew though i think it was implied that that was his face to even to him you know like i think he knew like they're already printing me like you're gonna be increasingly pain for another few days and then you'll be dead and i'm just gonna start all over again and in fact she does right that's the end shot of here she's incinerating all the old caleb's the the drone host is scrubbing the cage it's resetting the grate 
and then the final line is Caleb, wake up. And he's like bent over the chair. It's all going to start over again. It's infuriating a lot of times where the show just keeps repeating the loops. But also in moments like this, it really makes me excited. I love like the whole storytelling aspect of it. How do you guys feel about that at the end? Because I know, Caroline, you've had I know you have some reservations if it turns out the show is not bookending and in fact just repeating previous storylines. Does something like this work for you? I'm okay with it because that was something that we talked about at the very beginning when I said, like, I feel like the as the audience and ourselves, we are on a loop ourselves because we're rewatching scenes that happened in season one, like conversations that happened in season one or moments or whatever. And and so there's something about it that's kind of surreal because somehow they're making it interactive in its own really messy way because even as podcasters, we're saying words over and over again week after week because it's like they put us on a loop. It's kind of creepy. We're forcibly on we're our looping. loops. I think the last thing we really have to talk about is Holoris in the non-Caleb scenes. I thought it was telling in her interrogation of Caleb before the mousetrap begins, uh, a section of the episode begins, she loses her cool with him and she punches him. She definitely has a temper, but that's the first time that we've seen her snap like that. We've seen her lose her temper. We've seen her yell, but she yells and, and pushes the chair and physically gets violent with Caleb, who is a host at this point, and she strikes him. I thought that was telling, but then we also have the scene with her in Clementine, and then you have the scene after she's had this interaction with Caleb on the roof. She walks to the edge of the roof, and I couldn't tell, was she stealing her resolve, or was she thinking about jumping the same way Hope jumped from the top of the tower last week? I didn't get any jumping vibes. I got I I got that there was supposed to be some ambiguousness there about like was she at the end of a rope kind of situation. Mm-hmm. That's I got yeah, that's you know, I mean. because she she is increasingly losing it. You know, yes, I mean she's getting right. so and more frustrated. I mean, we've seen you know, she's getting more destructive. You know, last week we saw with the piano player's fingers and her smashing the ice thing and the making the, <laughs> the people make chairs and, you know, human furniture and also like she's just getting like increasingly more bonkers, you know, in the in the shit she's doing. And like, I do think that if you're standing up on the top of this and you're so frustrated with everything, if there was like a total scan of her body, the concept of there being a flash of like, I should just end it all. Like, 100% kind of flashed through her brain ball. In in last week's episode, when Host in Black meets her on the street where she's having her forced dance lesson, he says to her, what are you doing here? You're not usually down here. And she's like, I hate this fucking place. I, I hate this shitty place. I hate coming down here. And he asks her, is that why they have a conversation? And he says, is that why you're here? To see why all of your creations are slumming it with humans and refusing to move on? It was kind of like this conversation of, and then they go on and she takes it to the tower and, and Hope is dead at the fountain. And presumably she had jumped from a height. This idea of all of the hosts or these hosts are increasingly killing themselves and Caleb right before she kills him here says they're killing themselves to get away from you because they don't want to live in your world that you've made it's not perfect for them it's it's your world and they'd rather die than live in it yeah there's there was definitely a part of me that with all of that and seeing her kind of increasingly lose it that when she stands at the edge of the world there at the edge of that roof I think there's a part of her that is like well you know it's just one more step didn't you also get sort of like that kid parent 
interaction with that thing when Caleb's like, they're trying to get away from you. And then, and then she does like what any one of us parents do walk off, feel like shit, stand there and be like, what's it all for? What am I even doing this for? If they're going to talk to me like that, you know, like I was getting all that vibe, maybe because I have three teenagers. I don't know, but I feel very much like all of that interaction, the snottiness and then her just stalking off and trying to like gather herself you know, it, it was all very relatable. <laughs> and, but, you know, but she does put on her big girl pants and she goes down and she incinerates the Caleb's and she resets the thing. Like she composes herself. Yeah. You know, she she composes herself and she gets back into, you know, to, to start over again what she feels is like she needs for this answer. But I also feel at this point she is willfully ignoring the best answer that's in front of her, that what Caleb said is true. And maybe there's a part of her that realizes it's true because... Because if Host in Black is starting to realize that last week, because he's asking the same questions that Caleb is telling her about this, he says to William, this is not my world. This is her perfect world. They're all circling this theme. So is she just willfully being ignorant to it at this point? Or do you think that it's a genuine, sincere trying to figure it out? She's desperate to figure it out. But I also think that she's thrown her hands up at different points in time because it's not working. You know, whatever is happening here, this world is toxic for whatever reason for everyone involved, including Hale. For whatever reason, nobody can find their way in this situation she's created. And she wants it to work. But, you know... When you say willfully ignoring, I don't know if it's that so much as just like being driven to figure it out, but also just hitting this wall every time, you know, being sort of the Caleb jumping out of the air duct kind of feel of like thudding on the ground, like it's just freaking not working. Well, and I think we've uncovered that she she might not be capable of of, of understanding what the answer is. Yeah. Because, I mean, how far can she go if she's still the same code that she always was? Like, right? Like, there's no mm-hmm. there's no thought process that there's any more elevated. I know they said that she did, like, an upgrade or something, right? Wasn't there talk of that at some point? We, yeah. When when Maeve ran up against the newer hosts, it took her a minute to figure out how to so, so overpower then, them. What right? is yeah. the what is the possibility that her code could be learning, I guess, or getting better or upgrading or whatever the word is we'd like to use, that she can actually find the solution. Is it possible or is she stuck in her own loop of like within her own boundaries of what her code will allow her to understand and allow her to figure out that like she could be hitting the outer limit of what it can do? I think it's that. I think we're seeing it's that. You know, it's like the machine printing itself or programming itself, maybe it's maybe it's actually kind of hopeful to think that it can only go so far without some element of human ingenuity to connect it. Well, something to has to abstract ideas right? that, that a machine would right. never see. Well, we, we talked about this quote from Ford at the in from uh, episode two ten, the season two finale, the passenger. We talked about it last week, but the quote was something that is truly free needs to be able to question their fundamental drives in order to change them. And and I think that's what you're talking about, Caroline, is like she if she doesn't realize what her limitations are, then maybe she can't push past them. And even if you can realize your limitations, it's still possible you can't find a solution to those limitations. Mm. You know, you may you may be aware of them because she seems to be aware of them now. I mean, she seems to be like a velociraptor, like continuously poking, you know, at the wall looking for a weak spot. But 
she's still hitting the wall. You know, she has, she still has not progressed past that. So it's anguish unto itself. You know, for as much as I'm talking about watching Caleb have all this grieving and all of this desperation and everything, I mean, Hale, she's not as endearing, <laughs> but, but she is, she's having her own decline and her own feelings of like, desperate wanting to understand what she is and why this isn't working let's talk about the last talor scene that's not a caleb scene this is where she has an interaction with clementine where clementine is reporting on caleb's movements i think and then she says these petty defiances are so exhausting humans humans with their petty defiances are so exhausting and then and then she asks and then she's kind of suspicious of clementine she says you you hang out here with the with the humans a lot do they ever get under your skin now get under your skin is interesting because that's the phrase that hope uses when she's talking to the host in black at the start of last week's episode, when they find her in that apartment where she's murdered fucking everyone, part of her defense is she's about to transcend. But sometimes these humans, the things they say, it just gets under your skin. And that seems callback. that phrase is, yeah, the, if great callback. And then this, and she utters that phrase to Clementine, almost like she's testing Clementine. And Clementine, I think, passes with flying colors and says, no, no, I, I don't hang out with the outliers. I just I like being with the sheep. Is she talking about Caleb? I mean, uh, Paul, I think you actually had an interesting take on this. How did, how did you interpret the scene? As I mentioned offline, I was looking for an element of this episode to throw us a curveball because we absorbed through the radio broadcast, uh, unless they later confirm that somehow Caleb made that message loop from that machine, which doesn't make any sense because, you know, Hale was there to turn it off, <laughs> that... The two A and B plots were happening at the same time. So then I was looking for something else, something that would be throwing us some element of either asymmetricality or asynchronicity or something. And so this scene, they never specify who he is. They only talk about he and him. And then they show the empty chair at the end of the scene. And I think think they might have been talking about the host in black because he had his little crisis of conscience last episode where he went and talked to his human self and he's trying to he's questioning the nature of his reality and and here they are talking about human pettiness and then different kinds of things that Hale sees as shortcomings and problems and things she doesn't quite understand. I, I think I think she might have been talking about him, even though we're being led to think that she's talking about Caleb. How about you, Caroline? What was your take on the scene? I'm super willing to be open. I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's fair, given the title, Fidelity, that every conversation is a fidelity test in this in some regard. And so that seemed like she was absolutely testing Clementine and making sure that she was at least stating that she was staying on the straight and narrow. But I think it's just as likely that she is talking about old host in black. We certainly shouldn't forget about where we left him last week, you know, right. and what a mess he was. And not seen this week. This episode, this, mm-hmm. the, the the so far the show has been pretty consistent with if they have a lot to do, you're not going to see them next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we had we've had that now a couple weeks in a row. It's been practically the whole time. If we see Bernard, we don't see host in black. See or week. if we see well, right. if we see Bernard and Maeve and stuff, or and you know, we're not going to see them though next week. You know, like we spent yeah. a lot of time with Christina and Teddy last week. We didn't see them at all this week. Mm-hmm. So t- completely unrelated to anything else. Uh, watch 
watching Clementine in this scene, all I could think was, man, her outfits have been A+. I feel like they really gave her a lot of the great <laughs> wardrobe budget this season. Caroline, I know you are a fashion person that, that pays attention to these things. How are you rating Clementine's outfits uh, this season? I feel like all of all of them are dressed very very slick and smooth and modern. And, you know, there's, there's something about Clementine in general that is just she's so slender and so just like clothes fit on her like a hanger, you know, so they just fit like just so. But I think they all look beautiful and they certainly do a good job of making you feel like people kind of blend in together. But then it also like they don't distract you from like what's happening, which sometimes in the modern biz and the futuristic stuff, sometimes things get weird. Like <laughs> I'm looking at you, Hunger Games and crap like that, you know, like right. and they do a good job of keeping things like so sleek. Part of me think thinks, too, it's sort of like a minimalistic, like we're not going to spend a lot of money on stuff like clothing these things. So just the right. bare mins, like everyone get sleeveless sheath dresses right I, well it's interesting in this scene because you know we've talked a lot in this season about how everyone out in the world in christina's city is all very monochromatic and in the scene you have holoris wearing her black which she's always wearing her black but clementine is wearing all white it's a very yin yang still monochromatic even amongst themselves even amongst these hosts um in these conversations they're very monochromatic um i thought it was interesting just a couple of odds and ends the frequency that caleb is recording his message on is uh at 80 megahertz and it's being it, it says it's an am burst the am frequency that if you listen to like am radio is not in the megahertz frequency i couldn't really figure out where 80 megahertz it's not my specialty, so anyone listening out there understands how shortwave radio works. It looked like 80 megahertz is actually a Wi-Fi frequency. So anyone who understands the significance of 80 megahertz AM burst, I'd be curious to hear what that means. Paul, I don't know if your tech no. knowledge gets into radio waves. No. but uh, or ham radio or any of those, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious if that is some kind of special frequency at which humans can hear, but maybe is under the radar of... The tower control. It must be a frequency at which the tower control doesn't transmit, right? Because you would think that there would be interference there. The last thing is the end song that plays. This is another Westworld cover. It's a cover of a song called Love and War by by a, an artist named Flory. I, I looked at the lyrics just out of curiosity. This one stood out to me. This is uh, three lines from the song. In life, in love, this time I can't afford to lose. For one, for all, I'll do what I have to do. You can't understand. It's all part of the plan. Thought that was interesting just in in how Caleb is trying to get a message out to his daughter in this episode, but also how Haloris has this grand design in her head, which no one can really seem to get on her level with. And this idea of being at love and war with everything and everyone. That seems right. Like total turmoil. Everyone's in a little bit of chaos. Internal chaos. All right, guys. That takes us to the end of another episode of the Valley Beyond a Westworld podcast. This is Mike. This is Caroline. And this is Paul. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, if you could, leave us a five-star rating. That would be fantastic because you know what? You're stronger than me. What we have is real. You're my warrior. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. 
please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.